seat. So if you have a Bible with you, thank you. If you don't have one, if you don't own one, there's going to be one on your table around you. If you would do me a favor and grab it. Um, before we get into the sermon this morning, we're doing, we're going to do something real quick. Uh, I've got a few different items and then we'll jump into Luke. Uh, but if you have your Bible, open to 1 Timothy. Uh, again, this is not the sermon, this is uh, secondary or primary because I'm doing it first. But um, yeah, make sure you open to 1 Timothy. Here's, here's two things I want to cover and then we're going to cover something else and then we're going to get in the sermon. So you guys just get nice and comfortable because we're going to be here for a while. Um, tonight, Tonight, and Dylan will give you more information, but tonight we're doing um, a training on our gospel identity, who we are, and so it's, it's not sermon-based, it's going to be way more discussion-oriented, we're going to have some pizza together, we'll have childcare provided, um, and then we're going to, meeting at the Dodd's house, we'll go down to the dock, sit up on top of the dock overlooking the lake, and study un- and understand who we are in Christ. Um, so I really want you guys there, if you can make it, this would be a good identity training and, and help further all, our walk with Christ. Uh, but we need to know that you're going to be there. So on your card, there's a communication card. If you would just write on the back and turn in before you leave um, that you're coming, that way we can have enough food and be ready for you guys. And also we can give you the address and all that. So uh, any, any information on that will be at the connection table on your way out. Also, this week we've officially launched our missional communities. Um, we had one meet Thursday night, we had one meet uh, Friday night, and we'll have one meet today at 2 o'clock at Moe's. Um, and so we really, really want you guys to be part of that. Um, as we'll see today in the sermon, everything happens in community. Um, the, the gospel has designed us to work best within community together. Um, that's how we grow. That's how iron sharpens iron. And so um, a community that lives on mission here in Dahlonega, I think, is uh, going to be dangerous for the gospel. So we want you guys to be a part of that. Um, so there are three sign-up sheets with some information on the different communities that you can just, if you want more information, put your name down. We can reach out to you and, and get to know you that way. Sound good? Okay. So this is where I want to get into First Timothy. First um, Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Because here's what's happening. Uh, and I am tempted to not even get to Luke just because I'm so giddy about what's about to take place. Um, we are officially three. We turned three on the 14th, which was, what, Thursday? Uh, but we didn't have power, so, like, no one really cared. Um, does everyone have power back, by the way? Are we all living in the 21st century again? Okay. Um, did anyone cry about not having power, or is that just me? It was really depressing. It, like, I'm embarrassed at how much not having power uh, took me out of my game. But... So we have officially turned three as a church. It's a big deal to celebrate, um, not because of anything we're doing, but what God is doing. And so one of the things that we've been waiting on um, is for God to give us a few group of men to be elders, uh, to help lead this church, to oversee this church, to cast vision for this church, to protect the church. And so we've been waiting. We didn't want to put the wrong guys in place here. We wanted to uh, be patient, which is not an attribute of mine, but we wanted to be patient. We wanted to wait for the Lord to bring us good leaders, in, and we have them. Um, or at least I think that's what this morning is about. Um, we have a group of five guys that I think are qualified. Um, we've been meeting over, started sometime over the summer. I'm going through scripture and going through a book called Gospel Eldership together uh, to make sure that we're all qualified, that we know the role, that we're working in the role. Um, so here's what I need for us this morning before we get into the sermon. I'm going to let you meet these guys in a second. Um, but I want to read First Timothy 3. And, and this, is the, this is the job description. This is what it takes to be an elder. And if you have something to write down, also write down Titus 1, 5 through 9. Uh, because these are two different places in the New Testament that the outline and the job description of an elder is, is described. I um, mean, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read. I'm going to discuss a little bit about the role of the elder. Um, and then I'm going to put my email up here. And here's the deal. Uh, I know, I feel like I know these guys pretty well. But if you know something within these scriptures that they don't qualify as elders, uh, I need to know about it. So Thursday at noon is the cutoff. Now Thursday at noon, if you, if you see something on this list um, that, and here, let me, let me be, categorize this for a second. Uh, there's always grace, right? Okay. So when, I, when I'm reading this list, uh, we're all going to fall short of this list. What I mean is, are these guys unrepentant towards this? Uh, are they unconfessing of their sin? Are they um, walking in blatant disobedient to character, 
characteristic on this list? If so, I want to know about it. So Thursday at noon, um, I want an email, and it has to be backed up biblically. Here's my email address. Uh, It has to be backed up biblically. Don't just tell me I don't like this guy because he's annoying. Uh, That might be true of some of us, but that's not necessarily biblical, and, and we need to what kind of a church will we'll stay by the Bible? Um, so I want you to email me. I want to know biblically if they don't add up to uh, what you think a qualified elder would look like, and we can start that discussion. If none of that takes place, uh, then next Sunday we're going to have a commissioning service for the elders, and so we'll officially become an elder-led church, uh, which, again, may not mean anything to you guys, but uh, for us that have been here fighting for this thing from the beginning, this is a huge um, statement, this is a huge moment in the life of our church, uh, because then the elders will take care of constitution, they'll take care of bylaws, uh, that opens up the door for membership, and, and we just continue to, or God, just continue to see God do incredible things here, but it all t- takes place with these group of men that are called to lead this church. So, First uh, Timothy 3. 1 through 7. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not a violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he be able to care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit or fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil." So you can see very clear the Bible outlines um, the characters of an elder. So, so what does this mean for us? Um, what does this mean for us here? The, the way we define, define elder here is, is biblically that they're an overseer, um, that they're protecting the flock, that they're leading this thing from a 10,000 feet view. They're casting vision. They're, they're offering oversight. Yes, they're going to be in the details, um, but the big picture is they're offering oversight uh, for the church. Um, they're also going to be pace setters for us. Um, that, have you guys ever heard the saying, you're only as strong as your weakest link? Okay, um, that's very true for the elders. That as we are setting the pace, um, that is going to be the pace of the church. Another thing, and if, you're, if you want more information about this, I would love to, I'm going to glance by this one real quick, but I'm not trying to, to skip over. If you want more information, we can talk throughout the week. Um, biblically, um, elders are called to be men. Not that women are any lesser, but we are very complementarian, that, that men and women have different roles within the church. Both are as important, um, but Paul outlines that elders are to be Men. So here's the duties for us as elders. Number one, to feed the church, to pray, preach, counsel, sing, and live the gospel to the church. That's number one. Number two is to lead the church. Number three is to protect the church. Number four is to care for the church. So this is the role of elder. And up until this point, we've kind of been a staff-led church. Um, So a, a good question would be, okay, what does this mean for the existing staff? Nothing. They just keep doing what they're doing. If anything, we're taking some pressure off of them to lead in their role better, and and we're going to offer it as elders. Um, So until now, I've kind of been the lead guy. I've been, uh, we're staff led, yes, but ultimately, like, I had the final say in some of these decisions. Um, Once this elder board is voted in, I will be one of the elders. I won't be the lead elder. So my votes would get shot down uh, as well as they should. I mean, I don't have that many good ideas. Um, So I will be one of the elders. I won't be the lead elder. I won't have any power or authority over the elders. Um, This means that eventually they could fire me. I hope that doesn't happen. I want to be here for a long time, but that's the authority that rolls within these elders that that we're praying about. So um, without further ado, I'll go ahead and invite the guys up here so that you can meet them. I'll let them introduce themselves, um, and then we'll pray over this process, and we will uh, get started with the actual sermon now that we're 10 minutes in. Uh, I said I'll let you introduce yourself, but we don't have a microphone, so I'll, yes, we do. Look at you, worship leader, knew that we have a microphone. So I'll let you guys just introduce yourself real quick. Whatever. So uh, my name is Matthew, um, obviously I've been serving here as a worship leader for a couple years, uh, been with the branch since we've started, um, and have been serving in a staff capacity 
um, moving forward. Uh, the plan is anyway to roll over into an elder role, um, which uh, I'm excited, excited for and excited to do. Um, but yeah, so my name is Matthew. Um, I'm Rob Staples, uh, uh, my wife Jennifer, and uh, we have Sarah and Will, um, our 13 and 11 year old. And uh, we have been a part of the branch now for uh, right about a year and uh, certainly looking forward to be able to continue to serve um, in this capacity. I'm Jeremy Lavender. I'm a school counselor here. I've been a part of the branch for about a year as well, and I'm looking forward to serving, uh, serving this church community. I'm Greg Dodd. My wife's Debbie, um, and we've been part of the branch for probably a couple of years now. Uh, I didn't tell them that they were going to speak, so that was all ad-lib. Good job, boys. So these are them, and then I'm the fifth one. Um, so I would be one of the elders, too. My name's Gabe Dodd. Um, my wife is Bree. We've got four kids. Um, don't, you know, there's that one part about making sure the children are submissive in the household. Just glance over that part for me. Show me some grace. Because um, we've got a six-year-old, a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and an almost one-year-old. Um, that, it's just impossible. But, uh, so this, this is us. This, is, this would be the elders of the Branch Church if you guys uh, do not see anything biblical that would disqualify any of us. Uh, so, I'm going to pray for us, but there again, my email is on the screen. Thursday at 12 um, would be when I need those emails in. I'm sorry if it's after that. Uh, we're going to have to move forward. So Thursday at 12, um, let me know if, if Titus and Timothy, if there's something within one of us that disqualifies us, and we will go from there. Sound good? Are you guys excited? Okay, because like th this, this, okay, I'm, I'm just really excited. I just hope we know what's happening here. Like this moment is really special in the life of the church. And um, next week, if all of us get approved and get voted in, when we have the commissioning, it's going to be, uh, I'm just going to cry. I'll just go ahead and say it. I'm just going to cry. Uh, so let me pray for us. And then these guys will be able to have a seat and we'll jump into Luke. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for what you're doing. God, it's, it's you that builds this church. It's not us. Father, it's you that raise up men and women to lead this church. It's not us. Uh, Father, if it was left to our own abilities and skills, uh, this thing would be destroyed. Father, there's no way that we can change souls. There's no ways that we can change lives, Father. It's only because of you and your grace and your good news, which is the gospel, uh, that any life change takes place. And so, Father, we're praying for these men as, as we're praying and considering about becoming elders here and leading in this capacity. Uh, Father, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us discernment? Father, would this never go to our heads God, will we always submit to you as the authority of the church. So, Father, we love you. Thank you for sending these men here. God, thank you for every single soul in this room. God, thank you for what you are doing here. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I appreciate the effort, but that was a weak clap. We've got to work on that, son. Uh, Luke 10 is where we're going to be as we, as we start to jump into the sermon. Luke 10. And, and here's kind of the, the overall thing that, that we're going to discuss this morning. And we did a lot with the elders in the, in the training that we've been going through. Is, is why do we want to be elders? I mean, Timothy would say that it is a noble task for us to want to be elders, for us to want to be overseers. Um, but the, the question that one of the chapters in the book really railed us in is Why? Why do we want to be elders? Why do we desire to have this? But maybe another way to say it is, what is our true motivation in wanting to be elders? That's a, that's a hard question to wrestle with. I mean, it's that um, with more power comes more responsibility. It's, it's what, is our, what is our soul looking for? Is it control? Is it power? Do we, do we want to have uh, power over people? Like, or, or do we really want to serve and genuinely want to serve Christ? But, but the question is, what is our motivation because motivation uh, in our culture doesn't necessarily bear the same weight as it once did. I mean, here's what I mean. 99.9% .9 of situations don't care why you do it as long as it gets done. So you're, uh, raise your hand if you're in college right now. Does your professor care about you doing your assignment and what motivates you to do your assignment? No, what does he care about? As long as you turn it in, that's fine. And most don't even care about that. Motivation, what, just hypothetical, what if, what if I did this? Um, what if 
I was the most incredible husband of all time. I mean, I flowers every single day. And I'm not talking about like little roses. I'm talking about huge bouquet of flowers, trips, anything my wife wanted. I was at her beck and call 24-7. She never went without anything. I mean, seriously, I was the husband that all the husbands looked around and said, what a jerk, man. Like, would you just chill out for a little bit? You're making us look bad. And I see my wife laughing because she knows this is not true. On my wife's deathbed, well, that's a morbid turn, as we're talking right before she closes her eyes for the last time, I say, honey, I never loved you. I was just trying to be a better husband than my brother. I win. Bye. Now that's a really sick analogy, I understand that. But could that take place? Yeah. I mean, could my motivation my entire life not be because I love my wife, but because I want to be a better husband than my brother? And we can do this. I mean, in every arena of life, we can go through and say, it doesn't really matter the motivation. What really matters is just what you do. And what we're going to see in Luke this morning is Jesus flips that on its head. And Jesus says, no, no, it doesn't matter what you do. If your motivation isn't pure, if your motivation isn't right, nothing else matters. And honestly, I mean, this is just a a framework for us that we have to start to get into. Because right now, as we're sitting around these tables, we look good. We've got our Bible open. We're taking notes. No one knows the motivation that's in our hearts right now. I mean, I'm standing here preaching the gospel to you guys. You don't know why I'm doing this. At the end of the day, you don't actually know my motivation in wanting to become a pastor. So so what tells it? I mean, here's Kyle and Ricky are two guys on staff with us. Both of them are raising support to work here. So is their motivation money? No, (laughs) not at all. The branch is not paying them a dime. They're going out and raising money to be on staff here. So there's little ways that we can get in to understand motivation. But at the end of the day, and this is kind of what scares me, just to be honest, at the end of the day, that your motivation is strictly in between you and the Lord. No one else. So that's what we're going to see this morning. Um, Luke 10, uh, pick it up in verse 25. Luke 10, 25 through 42. Luke 10, 25 through 42. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. This is Jesus saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Which Jesus is just a genius at this. I mean, Jesus knows that this lawyer is trying to test him. So he spins it back on him and says, well, you're, a, you're a religious lawyer. You, you tell me, what do you interpret this as? Verse 27, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strengths and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28. And he said to them, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Verse 29. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? Here's, before we keep reading, we have to understand this point. What Jesus is about to tell a parable, the parable he's telling is not how to inherit eternal life. Not how to get into heaven, not how God saves you. The parable he's about to tell is explaining who is your neighbor. A man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sat on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. When I come back. That's a big detail we'll get to. When I come back. Verse 36, when all these three, which of all these three do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? Verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Verse 38, 
Now they went out of their way. Jesus entered into a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you were anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Now, if you've grown up in church, you've heard these two stories preached probably a lot. And when I was studying, when I was going through, there's no way this morning that we could separate these two stories. Um, Luke is a narrative. It's written in story form text. The purpose of Luke is Luke is writing, uh, it talks about this in chapter one, Luke is writing to his boy Theopolis to make sure that he is um, totally sold on who this Jesus guy is. So Luke purposely keeps these stories together um, lest that we would fall into some kind of legalism. And here's what I mean. What you want me to say this morning is, I don't care what your motivation is, be like the Samaritan, go take care of people and feel good about yourself, go. What we want, I mean, why we go to church is, okay, I'm feeling kind of bad about myself. I know I need to do better. I know I need to do this. So I'm going to go, pastor, tell me what I need to do so that I can live a better life. Um, I can have my best life now. And, and just, just let me know, and then I'm, I'm going to go do it. Tell me what I need to do. J- just give it to me. Don't worry about my heart. Don't worry about my motivation behind it. I just know I need to clean myself, tell, clean myself up. Tell me what I need to do, and I'll go do it. So I could stop at the Samaritan and say, okay, here, here's what you need to do. Love your neighbors yourself. Go do it. Don't walk around, let's go do it. But I mean, seriously, as soon as that story ends, the new story begins where Martha, who is doing, is lovingly rebuked and said, no, 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 Mary's doing the right thing by sitting at my feet and doing nothing. Do you guys know what the definition of a juxtaposition is? because we just read it. You've got one story where it's saying, do this, be the neighbor. Go, go do this, I'm gonna scold the two that didn't, I'm gonna praise the Samaritan that did. But then this, the next story, you've got Martha who's doing and gets scolded and Mary who's doing nothing gets praised. What then do we do with that? What, what, what do we do? What am I supposed to tell you guys based on the gospel? What, what do we do? Go do something or go do nothing? Which one do you want? Right? It all comes down to the heart of the motivation behind it. What's happening, what's taking place is Jesus is exposing their hearts. Exposing what's really going on in there. Here, here's how Webster, my boy Webster, would define that motivation. The reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way. So the reason or reasons that someone is acting or behaving in a particular way. So what are the reasons, what are the motivations going on here? And there's, there's two basic camps. You've got the lawyer, you've got the Pharisee, or the priest, and you've got the Levite on this camp. And then over here, you've got the Samaritan, and you've got Mary. So what I want to try to do in just the next couple minutes is highlight their motivations and then ask you guys a really hard pressing in question that only you can answer is, what is your motivation for being here? I mean, I know a lot of you guys are freshmen. And there is, I mean, your, your mom might have texted you this morning to make sure you were up for church, but that's going to stop soon. That some of you, uh, your motivation for being here, what, what is it? If you're a freshman, you have this choice now. If you're in college, you have this choice now. You can be here whether you want to or, or you have the ability to be here. It doesn't matter what your parents say. What is your true motivation for being here? And some of you, I know this, some of you are dog tired. That you've been trying to serve, you've been trying to lead, you've been trying to do this thing so right. And it's wearing you out. Argue because your motivations aren't pure. So let's start with this lawyer, because he's an interesting guy. He's a a religious guy. I mean, he's trying to come in and and show, expose Jesus for the fraud that they thought he was. So he asks this question, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns out on him, you know the answer, man. 
You're supposed to love God with everything you have, and because of that, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, uh, Jesus, who is my neighbor? So with this guy, his motivation was not to be a Christian, was not to love God, was not to pursue God. His motivation was to remain in power. What do I have to do to follow Christ, to get into heaven, but to still keep this power that I've got? Because I'm kind of a big deal around here, this lawyer's thinking. I'm in control here. I like the power that I have. People look up to me. People value my words. And you're kind of cramping my style, Jesus. So how do I remain in power? My motivation here is I want to know just enough to get into heaven, but not give up my power of my life here. So he tries to trick Jesus. He tries to throw Jesus under the bus. And so Jesus throws this incredible parable at him to find, and okay, I'll tell you who your neighbor is. And the first person that we see is this priest. Now in this parable, in this story, the priest is coming, the road that he's talking about, he's coming from Jerusalem going back home. So he's leaving the temple and he's coming back to his house. And he walks up to this guy that's been beaten left for half dead on the side of the road. Now this priest is coming from, he's all by himself, no one's going to know if he just kind of walks around and just ignores this guy. No, no one's going to know. So this priest who was just in the temple in Jerusalem teaching and doing all this stuff for the Bible, for God, when he's left to his own solemn time, doesn't do it. And here's probably what's thinking, listen, I'm a priest, I've got to remain ceremonial, clean, you kind of look half dead, if you're actually dead, I can't touch you because I won't be clean, there's all these rules I've got to follow, uh, so I'm, I'm going to walk over here because I'm, I'm clean. To this group that Jesus was telling this story to, they probably weren't surprised at that. Yeah, that makes sense, a, a priest can't interfere with that, a priest can't walk into that environment. When the priest was by himself, the decision that he made shows his motivation. When you're by yourself, the decisions that you make shows your motivation. Who you look like in front of this group right here doesn't mean anything. That you can walk into a room for an hour and look like you've got it all figured out doesn't mean anything in the realm of the gospel and the realm of king of kings lord of lords glory who you are this priest who you are when you're by yourself reveals your motivation so the next guy comes down the levite same thing is living in some of this idea now the the guy that was laying in the ditch bloodied messed up levite same thing just walked right around i don't want my comfort to go down so what the religious leader, the lawyer, was worried about is power, that his motivation really was his power. The priest was not necessarily worried about power, but he was worried about his approval. What are people going to say if, that's really annoying, sorry. Someone's calling me right now and I cannot multitask, so that's gone. What is the priest going to say if, if I actually help this guy, if I'm going to take care of this guy, no one's around, no one's going to disapprove of me, so his motivation was not the kingdom, was not heaven, was not the gospel. His motivation was approval. He wanted to look good in front of people. And if there's no one watching what he's doing, then why do it? The Levite's coming down, and he's not necessarily looking for power or looking for approval. He's looking for comfort. This is going to take out of my day. I've got things to do here. I've got to get home. I've been in Jerusalem for a week. I've got to get home. My family's waiting for me. Uh, this, is, this is just isn't time for me. So I'm going to walk around the other side of the road and, and go on because I've got things to do here. This would be an uncomfortable situation for me to walk into. So his motivation was not the gospel, was not Jesus. His motivation was his comfort. And if I can be comfortable and sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in here, then we'll all be good. Welcome to the American church. Let me say that again. If I can be comfortable and sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in here, that is by definition the American church. Don't actually ask me to change or do anything different. Let me come here for an hour. Let me maybe get a part of a missional community. I'll write a check when I feel like it. But don't, don't actually ask me to change and, and get uncomfortable. Like, 
And that just reveals our motivation. What Jesus is trying to do is to reveal the motivation of the lawyer and the priest and the Levite. So although they did nothing, their motivation was not pure. But then comes the Samaritan. And I, I love Jesus for who he is and what he does. But this situation, I just, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall there. Because he just insulted a religious leader, a priest, and a Levite. And then he brings up a Samaritan. All these Jewish guys hated the Samaritans. They were half-blood. They weren't genuine. They weren't true. They hated these guys. The tension here was huge. When Jesus said, and then a Samaritan came, everyone in the room leaned in. What's the Samaritan? What, what are you talking about Samaritan? What's he going to do? And the Samaritan stopped. And the Bible said that they had compassion on him. The Samaritan stopped. And here's, here's what I want to notice. He gets off of his animal, probably his donkey, and puts this guy on it. His comfort's gone, right? So he was riding Cush, going through from Jerusalem, chilling on his donkey, having a, probably listened to a podcast on his iPhone or something, just chilling out. Sees this guy. He's got all comfort. He's, re- he's got a donkey. He's ready to go. He's got things to get home to, but he stops. He has compassion. He picks up this guy, puts him on his donkey, takes him to a hotel. Now, this is kind of debated, but the, the, the two denarii that this uh, Samaritan left for this guy is anywhere from two weeks to two months' salary for this guy. So he was going to take care of him for two weeks to two months. And then homeboy left. Now here's what's going to reveal our motivation more than anything. When we do something good, do we not, church, stand around and wait for a recognition? When we've done something, do we not want some kind of praise, some kind of acclamation? Look at what I've done. Look how good I am. So we just kind of stand next to it going, somebody's going to give me some attention here soon. Look at what I've done. I just gave two weeks to two months salary to this stranger. I got off my donkey, took him, I've bandaged all of his wounds. This guy would have died if it wasn't for out me. So I'm going to stand right here until someone notices. Look at me, look at me. Who took care of this guy? Oh, I did, right? That's, that's how we want to posture ourselves. But the motivation of the Samaritan was not that because homeboy left. He just walked out. Hey, are you good? Hey, innkeeper, take care of this guy. Here's all the money you'll need. I've got to go because I'm not here searching for my own glory. My motivation is not myself in this story. I have zero motivation about self-glory or self-praise. I'm just here to help this guy because I had compassion on him. Which brings us to Mary. So Jesus and his boys, there's no way of knowing how many people were at Martha's house. No way of knowing. The busyness and the chaos was going on. There was eating, there was celebration. They were just having a good old time. And Martha is losing her mind because she's doing everything and Mary's sitting there. Just sitting there. Now, if we could just be honest with one another, we don't sit well, do we, church? We always feel like we have to earn. We always feel like we have to do. I mean, that was probably one of the best things about having the power out. What else are we going to do but sit and read and converse? I mean, that was not North Korea blouting out the cell phone service. So, did everyone else notice that cell phone service just was non-existent? So we had no cell phones. We had no Wi-Fi. We had no power. Some of our houses had no water. What else is there to do but sit? So Mary is sitting and Martha isn't having any of it. But the motivation behind Mary's heart is what all of us should long for this morning. See, remember, if we go all the way back, the original question that the lawyer asked was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How we would say it today in our culture, what must I do to be saved? Because I, I'm acknowledging here there's a heaven, there's a hell. What must I do to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven? What must I do? And Jesus goes, you, you know the answer. You tell it to me. What must I do? 
I've got to love God with all my mind, all my soul, all my heart, all my strength. And then I love my neighbor as myself. So we go on this discourse of the neighbor, but let's go back to what does it really look like to love God with everything that we have? Because that's the original question here. Uh, It was right after I had my first daughter, Auburn, so about six years ago. I vividly remember, I was sitting out on my patio, talking to one of my best friends on the phone, and just really having a hard time with this text. Because this is all, I mean, what Jesus is saying here is quoted out of Deuteronomy. This is not a new concept that Jesus is throwing out there. Love God. And I was telling my friend, I said, man, I just, I just don't think that there would ever come a situation in my life where I would sit one of my kids down and say, you need to love me more. You just, you just need to love me more. What you need to do in this moment is love me more. Love me with everything you have, Auburn, or else. I mean, that's the way I was reading this text. That's the way I was interpreting it. Going, man, what, what kind of father is that that love me? I said, I told my friends, I said, listen, if, if this was me, I would, I would, I would, my heart would break if I had to tell my kids to love me. Because what I want to do as a father is show them everything there is to know about love. That I only want them to be able to love me because of how much I first loved them. That I want to protect them, that I want to love them, that there should be no doubt in my children's life how much their dad loves them. That, that's what I want as a parent. How ignorant was I? Because here's the deal, what Mary's doing She's sitting at the foot of Jesus, marveling in how much God loves her through Jesus. So in the whole story, she's the only one that's getting her motivation right. Before I do anything, I need to understand this principle that God loves me, that he's for me. And out of that, I turn and love him. Because how much he first loved me, as first John would say, then I can love him. That's where true motivation comes from. I mean, here's 2 Corinthians 5.14 says it probably the best. The love of Christ controls us. Maybe another way to say it. The love of Christ compels us. So we can do all these things and we can pretend and we can act and we can presume that our motivation is correct. But if the motivation in our souls is not that Christ is controlling us, that Christ is compelling us, then we have to start to wrestle with why is that true? Where is this motivation coming from? And I know, man, listen, this is the Bible Belt. This is the South. There are so many expectations of you guys. It's not even funny. And picture you, now multiply that times 100, and that's me. Do you know what I feel like when I go to pastor's conferences? I do not fit the mold of a pastor in the South. I went to a wedding yesterday. I had to go buy a jacket from Goodwill because I only own one suit. And it's getting a little tight. Right? I mean, I guess I fit in with Southern pastors there. So so think about it. We've got so many presumptions and so many uh, assumptions for us and how we're supposed to act being a Christian. And if we're not careful, that's what's going to drive our motivation. We've got to look good. We've got to pretend. We've got to act like we've got it together instead of just sitting at the feet of Jesus and going, I don't understand this. Jesus, I don't. You're, You're here because God sent you here. And if I can just get this, if I can understand your love for me, then 1 John 4 9 would be true, that because of how much you love me, then, then we can love. So how I'm going to love God with everything I have is solely dependent on understanding how much you love me. It's all internal. When David in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, when David was chosen as king, they brought all the brothers in the room and said, okay, um, nope, not it, nope, not it. All these guys look good, but, but there's got to be another brother. There's got to be someone else. And this is uh, what the instructions for Samuel from God. Do not look on his appearance or the height of stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Proverbs 16.2. All the ways of man are clean as his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Let me read that one again. 
all the ways of man are clean in his own sight. What we think we're doing, we think our motives are clean, we think our motives are pure. But what Proverbs just says is the Lord weighs the motives, not the actions. Psalms 44, 20 through 21. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of our hearts. So God knew that the priest would walk to the other side because he knew the motives of the heart. God knew that the Levite would walk to the other side because the motives of his heart. God knew that Martha would complain because she felt like if I serve, if I do enough good things, then God's going to love me, then I'm going to earn God's love. But Mary, Mary and the Samaritan in this story, their hearts are pure, their motives are right. They just want to know the will of the Father. They want to know Jesus. So here, here's kind of uh, one of the hard parts for me preaching is I'm preparing this. Because I know there's a very small group of you guys in this room uh, that you are Mary. That your motives are completely pure. That you're not doing this to earn something from God. You're not becoming a Christian. You have not come here for any other motives other than to know Jesus so that you can love him with everything that you have. That's why you're here. And there's another group of you that I know that you're here, and, I, and I'm praying for you. I'm so desperate for you to get involved in the community because you know your motives are whack. You know that you have doubts and thoughts and wonders and questions about God, and is he even good? And is he even real? But I know I've got to do this. I know I've got to look good on this outside. I know if anyone says, isn't Jesus good? Oh, he's so good, brother. I've got to do all this stuff because I don't want anyone to see me not like that. Specifically, I don't want my parents to see me not like that. That all my friends always tell me how impressed they are with my faith. And Gabe, I'm just telling you, I don't have any faith. My motives are not good. I'm just in this game of charades and I don't know how to get out. I don't know where to ask questions. I don't know where to talk to about some of these things. I don't even know what it looks like to sit at the feet of Jesus. But please get into community. That's where that stuff takes place, when those conversations can really be had, where you have a safe place to discuss your thoughts and your fears and your worries. And so for you, I have compassion. For you, my heart breaks because I see it. But there's still a third group in this room. That you are looking down your nose at people constantly. That you are constantly judging and critiquing and trying to trick people into making yourself look better. That your motives are not Christ compels me, the love of Christ controls me, the beauty of the gospel is what gets me up in the morning. Your motives are, I just want to look better than everyone else. I want to play this game well. And within five minutes, I could sit down with you or one of our elders or one of our leaders could sit down with you and show you your sin from Scripture and you wouldn't listen because you don't care. That you've been playing the game of church for so long. Maybe here's what it looks like. I had a lunch with a guy a couple years ago. Uh, we're sitting down over lunch and the entire lunch conversation, an hour, he never talked about Jesus. He never talked about his love, what he's learning, what he's growing in, what he's pondering, what he's thinking. The whole time he told me about his church politics at home and how this deacon was doing this and how his pastor said this and this and this and this and this and this. The entire time. I can't believe any of that would happen. So I just lovingly said, hey man, um, have you ever considered reading Matthew 18? That if you have, if you have sin, if there's sin issue, if there's something going on that, that you're supposed to confront a brother, and if they don't listen, then, then you should bring someone else, and if they're not listening, bring them before the church. Have you read Galatians 6.1, where it talks about the role of Christians is to restore our brothers and sisters that have fallen into sin? 
that restoration is the goal, not throwing stones? Have you read the story in John 8 where Jesus had the opportunity to cast a stone at this woman for committing adultery and all the Jews and all the Pharisees were around wanting him to do this? He said, I haven't, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm not going to do it. Whoever has not sinned, cast the first stone. Pharisees, Jews, leave. Jesus picks her up. Have you, have you not read that? Do you, do you understand the biblical narrative that God has come not to condemn us, but to save us? Do you, do you want to talk about that? No. <laughs> Brother had no interest in that. Because his motive was, if I can put down everyone else, that's going to make me look better. If I can walk in this false humility, if I can lift my hands at the right time, if I can get involved in this and this and this and this, but the danger, the fear is that God reads our heart, not our outward appearances. So my question for us as we end is what is your motivation here? What are we doing here? What is your motivation for being a Christian? What is your motivation for following Christ? What, what, is your motiv- what, what is happening in your soul? One of our dreams from the very beginning of this church was to create a culture where it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to talk that way. It's okay to act that way. Get into community. We'll lovingly show you the gospel. But what is your motivation for that? See, here's our motivation. In a second, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to walk over and we're going to take communion. If you're a believer in this room, this is what we do. This is how we remember what our motivation is. Here's, how, here's what God says you are. That you are so beautiful and that you are so loved that he was going to send his only son to die on the cross for our sins. So for everything that you have done wrong and everything that you will do wrong, our, our God's love for us is so strong that no matter what it takes, he was going to make it right. And what it took was him sending Jesus to die. And not like die in your sleep die. I'm talking brutal death die. If we see what happened to Jesus on the cross and we start to understand how much God hates sin, Sin was brutally destroyed on the cross that day for us. Now, let's talk motivation. Does it make much sense then to ignore what Jesus did and try to live a good life? Does it make much sense to go, I'm going to take communion, but my motivation is still I just want to live the good life. I want to follow Jesus a little bit, but I want to stay comfortable. I want to stay protected. I want to stay in power. I want to stay in control. Here's a question, maybe in light of this week, as we take communion this morning. If Jesus is enough, is Jesus enough? So if God stripped away everything from our lives, everything, if we were Job, if God took everything away, would Jesus be enough for us? And that, my friends, is going to be telling of our motivation. Do we want Jesus plus this? Or is our motivation rest solely in Jesus? If that's all that I have, I'm good. If I know that I'm loved by God because of Jesus, and that's all that I have, I'm, I'm okay. And if there's any extras, if there's any snippets in there, then we need to really wrestle with our motivation. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for Mary sitting at your feet. And God, thank you for including this in the Bible so that we can understand that it's, it's not about doing. God, it's not about, it's not Martha doing. That's Mary sitting. It's not about us doing enough good things to earn your love, to earn your faith. Faith. It's about us sitting in front of you and learning how much you love us and learning what you've done for us. And from that, our love for you begins to grow.
we begin to understand who you are and your character and your nature, that you are love, that you are grace, that you are mercy, that you are forgiveness. That's who you are. So God, as we take communion this morning, would we ponder, would we consider, what is, what is our motivations for following you? What is our motivations here? Can we just be honest with you, maybe for the first time, Jesus, about what's really going on in our, whole, our souls? What's actually going on in our hearts? What is the real motivation that we're here? And God, I pray for the people in this room that, that they would get into community, that they would have a safe place to talk about these motivations going on in their hearts. God, but here's our motivation, that when we were still sinners, you died for us. Here's our motivation. That we are broken and busted people. Here's our motivation that when we were born, we were born into sin, we were born into darkness. There's nothing we could do to choose you, to follow you, Father, because we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. God, here's our motivation that you love us. Ephesians 2 says, and we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he has loved us, even we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. So church, let our motivation not be clean ourselves up, to, to look good, to stay in control, to stay in power, to, to seek approval, Father. Let our motivation be that we were dead in our sins, but Christ, but you made us alive together. But you, because of the cross, saved us from our sins. So as we take communion this morning, let us remember, let us repent from our faults, motivations, let us be pure in our thoughts that we want to sit at the feet of Jesus. So Father, we, we do love you. But God, help us to understand how much you love us and all that you've done for us. As we take communion together this morning, would we remember that it is the love of Christ that controls, it's the love of Christ that compels and our motivation should not be our own Father it should be from you church as we sit and ponder and pray whenever you are ready communion will be open as we examine what is our motivation for following Christ. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.